Guy here with a quick message before we get on with the pod. As a thank you to our most dedicated and loyal viewers and listeners to Blood Red, we're inviting you to join our Blood Red Club. By joining, you'll get access to insider transfer content as well as interviews with former favourites and those connected at Anfield. All you need to do is head to bloodredpodcast.co.uk, enter your email address and our exclusive content will head to your inbox. That's bloodredpodcast.co.uk. Thanks. Now on with the show. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Matt Addison with Theo Squires and Marcus Banks alongside me for this one. We'll be taking a look at the Liverpool centre-back situation very shortly, as well as another potential defensive dilemma with other stuff such as Jordan Henderson to touch on at some point over the next course of the half an hour or so. Before that, we'll go into the centre-backs. Obviously, it's Dan Lovren's birthday. I'm sure we all will wish him very much a happy birthday. Sorry, he was on a FaceTime chat earlier today with Mohamed Salah, as seems customary for, for those two. But uh, I think it's just a, an opportune moment, a, a bit of a time to reflect on what he didn't give Liverpool last season, how much they missed him, Theo. I know he's maybe not the most popular player that Liverpool have ever had, but it would have been quite useful to have him last season, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. An actual centre-back who could actually defend and had a bit of experience about them. Um, it always seems to be the way, doesn't it? Like Liverpool get rid of players and they haven't been playing and it's just to give them more football. And then that's when they need the most. Like it happened with Simon Mingley, didn't it, when Alisson got injured against Norwich first day of the season. But Dejan Lovren, well, I know he gets his stick, but he would have been huge for Liverpool last year because when he gets a run of games, he has shown his quality time and time again. Yeah concern with him was he always got injured when he was getting this run of games going and that would cost him his place. Like people remember him from mistakes and it's mainly the Tottenham one, isn't it? At Wembley. If you think of Dejan Lovren, that is the big negative. But there are so many big positive moments there as well. Like He was Liverpool's best player in that Champions League final in 2018. He was man of the match pretty much in the World Cup as well the same summer. And he always delivered when he was running, when he was fit. But whenever he had that Liverpool shirt and it was his own, he'd get struck down and then Joel Matip would get, come in and then he'd get struck down and Joe Gomez would come in. And it was just this vicious circle. And in the end, he was the one who dropped down the pecking order as a result. The, the age probably counted against him because he was the oldest of that trio looking to play alongside Virgil van Dijk. But when you think of the big moments he delivered, like Borussia Dortmund's the one we're all going to remember for forever, pretty much. Uh, he was a huge part of Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool and while it was first choice for him for those first couple of years, and it did get to a stage where Liverpool better without him as the first choice, you can say Gomez, Matip, probably better players. You'd like to think Canate will be. He'd have been a great squad option to still have, and he'd have certainly been an enhancement on uh, Reese Williams and Nat Phillips or uh, Ozan Kabak. But at the same time, he'd had a lot of football as a reserve player. He wanted to go out and play games. He's gone to Russia. He's captain of Zenit St. Petersburg. He's won the Russian title. It's worked out brilliantly for him. And even if they'd kept him for another 12 months, you'd just be saying, well, sell him now. They'd have probably sold him for less and then bring someone else in. And then, Would he have made enough of a difference to Pip City in that title race last year? Probably not. But it's one in hindsight, he would have made a nice bit of a difference at least. They wouldn't have struggled over the line, shall we say. Yeah, I think it's almost a reminder, Marcus, isn't it, of the value of that squad. As we say, Lovren wasn't exactly universally loved by every Liverpool fan, but you do need that squad depth. And that was something that Liverpool maybe have to, to learn from 12 months on. Yeah, definitely. And that was that was obviously a concern, even when he was at the club, is that the fact that 
Lovren and, and Matip, who were considered they were top quality backup, but both just couldn't stay fit. And if you if you're gonna be your third centre back option, you need someone who's reliable, who's always fit, who can always step in. But as Theo mentioned, when one was injured, the other one was fit, and when the other one was fit, the other one got injured, and it was just like like Theo said again, a vicious circle. Um, I think Liverpool's decision to sell Lovren was justified, though. I think you know, on the face of it. It was the right right decision, and the amount of injuries was unprecedented. Him staying, I think, would have allowed Klopp to potentially use for being on midfield a bit more. But I think in that Phillips is a bit of an upgrade on what Lovren brings. I think he's that similar sort of player with a little bit more uh, reliability and a little bit, little bit more no nonsense. I think think Lovren did have some really dominating performance, but there was, you know, there was there was always a fear that he did have a mistake in him. And we've not seen Nat Phillips next to someone next to Virgil Van Dijk, uh, and how that could play out. So I think I think Nat Phillips coming into that Dejan Lovren void, obviously with Canati to come in, is is a pretty pretty good deal for Liverpool. I think there are some big decisions though to be made this summer, Theo. In terms of those numbers, there's I think seven players who could be Liverpool centre backs next season. When you think of Van Dijk, Gomez, Matip, Konate. Nat Phillips, Ben Davis, Reese Williams. How many do you think they actually need in that position next season? And who would be the ones, if any, that you might want to get rid of? Um, it's one we can't really answer now. Like in a week's time, they'll be back for pre-season training. And when you've had the three injured centre-backs and the whole wording has been they'll be back for pre-season, you expect them to be joining in the sessions fully on day one. But we don't know how well ahead they are with this preparation yet. It could be a case of they're just still running around a bit and they're not ready to just go from day one. I know we've seen Gomez and Van Dijk, was it over in Spain or somewhere like that, doing some training with them, one of the young goalkeepers. But you really need to have a proper look at them in pre-season and see what their state is and then get to the start of the season. Are they ready to go straight back into competitive action? Are they going to suffer setbacks along the way? Usually when you come back from serious injuries, you do pick up more knocks as you go along. Liverpool found out with Danny Ings enough times and it's just a bit of a struggle there when you juggle in so many centre-backs in this situation. Like If you could rely on them to not pick up any knocks and just pick up where they left off, you'd say you'd only need four, maybe five, knowing you've got Fabinho and Jordan Henderson there if you get really desperate. But if you've got that question mark over them still, and we all know what Joel Matip's injury record is like anyway, you'd want to keep an extra one in reserve, which could be a Nat Phillips or a Reese Williams. We've not even seen Ben Davis. He's the one you always forget about. Um, you'd like to think we'd finally see him in a Liverpool shirt on TV cameras in pre-season. Whether that means he'd get some competitive action month, six weeks down the line, we don't know. But there are too many numbers there. Uh, it's whether some of them want to go out on loan, like Reese Williams could do with a loan deal. Whether Nat Phillips decides he's had his moment in on the stage for Liverpool, he's not going to top that. He's not going to better that game time. Let him be first choice elsewhere. And then whatever the plan was for Ben Davis, whether he was just to be a squad option that got faith in them going forwards, or if it was just a get-rich-quick scheme. They've had him in reserve. They didn't need him, and now they can make a profit six months down the line. Yeah, it's a really strange one, isn't it, Ben Davis, Marcus, in terms of we don't really know quite how to, to judge him or how much of an impact he might make. But I have to say, I'd be in no rush to sell him. We saw how quickly Liverpool went through centre-backs last season. The fact that he's only just come in, there's that little bit of intrigue. It, it kind of just makes me want to see what he's like in pre-season. And even if you were to sell him, you're probably not going to make loads of money on him. It's almost worth just keeping him about anyway. Yeah, I think I think keeping. I know it's, it's really hard to judge, like you say, because we've we've not seen him play. Like he could, 
you know, he could play his first game and have an absolute disaster class. But I think, you know, Klopp's comments are telling that, he, judging from Klopp's comments, it seems like he is going to have a future at the club at some point. Uh, I think Williams going out on loan makes a lot of sense. I don't think he was quite at the level of, like, maybe Nat Phillips and others. I think alone to the championship, like we've seen with, with Harvey Elliott, could do in wonders. I'd sell. I'd probably sell Nat Phillips too. I think his his price is at at his peak, and he deserves to go and play. You know, first choice, be a first choice defender at another Premier League side rather than you know potentially be fifth choice at Liverpool and might not get a sniff all season. But I think that's where someone somewhere like Ben Davis does come into that into that fold. The fifth choice centre back, left footed, um, so we can cover that that left side more than. Uh, that maybe Nat Phillips couldn't if, if he is going to be on the left. So I think, yeah, it's intriguing and I'd, I'd be inclined to keep him around too. I think he'd be the, the solid solid fifth choice after potentially fourth choice given our injury prone matchup is um, behind Canate, uh, Van Dijk and Gomez. But yeah, I think, I, w- I just want to see him play and see what he's about. But I, I would like to see Davis kept on as the fifth and Willips, um, Phil- oh my God, I can't speak. Williams out on loan, and uh, I think it's time to cash in on Phillips. You mentioned Phillips there, and he's almost, I think, in a similar situation to Dan Lovren, where he probably, if he does move on, it will probably be more him wanting to rather than the club pushing him out. But is there an argument to say that Liverpool have to be a bit more selfish with these players and just say, well, it doesn't matter that you're not playing. We need you to be here. You're contracted to be here. and not forcing them to stay, but but almost forcing them to stay just to, to keep those numbers. Do you think there's anything in that? Or do you just think that, that Jurgen Klopp would just decide that it's just better to, to let them move on if they don't want to be there anymore? I think I think if, if Phillips did, you know, did did express a desire to stay, then you know that's that's fine. If he wants if he wants to stay and fight, then he's a, he is the the almost perfect reserve defender. You know, he offers something a little bit different than than the regular centre backs. He can he can come into the sides and and you know he's he's proven that he can play at this level. So if he does want to come in and, and be the fifth choice, then you know that that's I think Klopp would be more than happy to to accept that. Um, I think when it comes to new signings as well, and that's the main issue. Theo wrote a piece a piece I think that went out this morning. Saying that Liverpool's first team, first eleven, doesn't really need improvement. They've signed Canate, which is the only real area of the squad that you could think, yeah, we could maybe use another first team quality option in there. I think the issue for Liverpool now is just strengthening depth and you know signing players that can offer real quality, but being stern with them and say, look, you're not going to start every game in a similar way that that Man City operates under Pep Guardiola with players like Bernardo Silva, even you know the likes of Phil Foden, who is is rightly gained all applauds this this season but he's not a guaranteed starter and if you're going to have that quality that strength in depth you need those quality options that you know you're going to say you're going to get game time but you're not going to be a first a first team starter or a nailed on uh nailed on in in and out every week and it's a, a similar sort of problem potentially for, for Liverpool Theo in terms of the right back situation as well it's something that I've written about this week we did a, an academy show that went out over the weekend, sort of talking about Nico Williams, if he was to move on, the sort of idea from the club, it, it seems, is that Nico wouldn't be replaced. It would be up to one or two other players to, to step in and, and be back up to Trent Alexander-Arnold. But it's a, a really tricky situation. It's hard to get a player in who knows he's going to be back up to Trent because Trent's going to play if he's fit. But 
it's one that I'd be slightly panicking if Liverpool did lose Nico Williams this summer, but they didn't go out and, and get a replacement there. Yeah, it's like, I know uh, Marcus just mentioned City and Pep, but when you think of their team, it's only really what Kevin De Bruyne and Edison that you'd say they would start every single week if they were fit every single week. But even the three quality centre-backs, he rotates them a little bit, doesn't he, with Lepore, Ruben Diaz and John Stones. Everyone else is in and out. Whereas Liverpool have never been like that. You've got your players you know are starting every week, and that's Virgil van Dijk, Alisson, Trent Robertson, Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane if he is on full form. And then the rest, it's just they've got the depth there. But it's those key positions. With Nico Williams, what was interesting is when we spoke to the club insiders, it was very much, yeah, he's probably going to go. He's probably going to ask to leave. Whereas if you do it for any of the other reserve options, you'd expect to move on, like everyone from Harry Wilson to Divock Origi. It's, we're not forcing them out. We're not pushing them towards the exit door. But if they want to go and then an offer comes in that we're willing to accept, it could happen. So it definitely seems there's something more going on there with Nico Williams and that they expect him to be one to move on. But then it's, well, do you want that backup right back? Because Trent's not exactly been an ever-present either. He had a, a little bit of a layoff last year. And this one where you do need to give him a rest. Like, there's always that debate of, is this in injury he's had on international duty because he's played so much football for Liverpool, because they haven't been able to rotate him because they had the injuries elsewhere in defence. It's like, well, if he'd not gone in the England squad and he'd then picked up this injury in pre-season and been out for a while, they'd be really stuck for choices. They do have the depth there in terms of Joe Gomez can play there. James Milner can play there. If you're really desperate, you could see Jordan Henderson there. Fabinho started his career there, but they're not Trent. They don't offer what Trent does with that bit of pace. Milner can cross the ball. Henderson can cross the ball, but it's not quite the same. And it would have to mean a change of style from Liverpool. Now, we have Thiago in midfield. I believe they could do it if they wanted to. The creativity can very much go through him as a playmaker where you're not relying on the fullbacks as much but you'd still want more of a like-like reserve. And that's what they believe they got when they signed Costas Simicas. And he's another player we've not seen much of, but we know he can get forward. We know he can put a cross in the box. It's whether you can find that right-back alternative. And then we know Liverpool, maybe not struggling financially, but they're having to prioritise what they go out and buy in the transfer window. That's why they've already got the centre-back. And it seems if they go for a striker or a forward or a central midfielder, it depends on who moves on. Or if they've still got cash to spend, you think the right-back is next on the list? And I suppose just because the options they've got, they're not expecting to be in a position where they need to address it just yet. We saw Trent Alexander-Arnold speaking, Marcus, the other day during the England game. He seemed positive. He hopefully will be back for the start of pre-season or certainly a few days or, or a couple of weeks into that. But you do need that squad depth. And as I said before, I mean, the idea of Connor Bradley being there for a sustained period of time, I just think is is madness. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. I think it's pretty similar to, to Billy Cometio last summer was being talked up as an option. And then ultimately, even with Liverpool's troubles at centre-back, we just didn't see him. And Joe Gomez as well was was the other option put forward. But surely the time has passed now for, for Joe Gomez to be a right-back. It's it's just not something that I think Liverpool fans would be happy to, to see, really, is it? Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's... It's almost unfair on on a, on a young lad like Conor Bradley who, who is, you know, he is making a big impression at the academy, but there's, there's absolutely no need to rush his development and, you know, stifle what could be, you know, a promising career. Um, and and like you say about Joe Gomez, he's he's another one. He, I can I can vividly remember being at the game, watching him at right back, and just you know just thinking he is not a right back. And 
we all we all know how good he is at centre back and the partnership he has with Van Dijk and moving him from opposition to right back, he just doesn't look comfortable. He can play there, yeah, but he's, he is definitely not a right back and, and he's proved that over the last few years and and we've spoke about the options that Liverpool could use there, but it just it's a bit annoying to me just that it's constantly you know using standing options, using you know midfielders at right back. We can use him at right back instead of just going out and signing. I know it's it's easier said than done to go out and sign a player who you is accepting that he's going to be back up, but they've done it in Costa Simicas, so surely you could go and do it again with with another right back option because one like you say one Trent injury, a major injury. You know that with the likes of Gomez and Van Dijk suffered, then Liverpool are really, really struggling at right back. Um, one option I would actually, and I've just said I don't really want to see, you know, players filling in, but I do think it could be a bit of an opportunity for Oxley Chamberlain if Liverpool uh, did switch to a three at the back formation. No, Klopp's, you know, not a fan, but it's something that could be used with Canate coming in, you know, and and having the wing backs push a bit further forward. You know, Oxley Chamberlain doesn't really. He said he doesn't really like playing that role, but he, he does that. And, and Jamie Carragher said that he has all the attributes to succeed in that role, and, and he did play really well there for Arsenal. And he is sort of needing, you know, a bit of bit of a new challenge, a bit of a new a wild card position to maybe revive his Liverpool career. But yeah, I think right back for me would be a priority if if Nico does does the part. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It is interesting on uh, Oxlade Chamberlain because they are saying that there is a new position for him at Liverpool. But from training, it sounds it's the other end of the field. It sounds that if they don't sign another forward, he's going to be very much a false nine because we've seen them there a few times or out wide. They think he can do that option, and that's another one. He, he did that Arsenal fine. He was good on the ball getting forward. We know he can score goals. We know he can put a ball in the box. It's just where do you get the best out of him? It's, it's a shame because he, before he got the injury, he was so good central midfield. Even in the Premier League winning year, when he was playing midfield, he was doing a job. And that just never really happened for him last year. He went from a shoo-in for the England squad to never being even in the conversation. Um, when you think of all the injured players Liverpool have got, he's probably one of the ones that I'd like to keep hold of the most because you know he's got it in his locker and it's not a case of him being injury prone. He's just been unlucky and it's been these long-term injuries once or twice. We know he's got the talent. We know he's a likeable lad. You just want him to go out and get the chance to prove it. And fortunately for him, he's very versatile. The fact that you could we're talking about him, he could play at wing back, he could play either flank, he could play central mid, he could play up front. He could be a very vital player for Liverpool in the season. Yeah, it's interesting that you say he's not a massive fan of playing at right back, but I'm sure, you know, given the choice, he'd rather do that than be on the bench or, or not be on the pitch at all. And it is something that Liverpool are gonna have to think about. I mean just looking at the Euros, I mean, Joachim Myler for, for Denmark, hopefully I've pronounced his name properly. He's played on, on both sides, Theo, and he's obviously one that England will come up against later in the week in the, the semi-final. And he's played both sides. It, it kind of feels to me like a, a solution like that could have been useful for Liverpool. I mean, they're not going to do it now because they've already got Costa Simicast to play at left-back, but it's a slightly easier sell to a player that can play back up to Robertson and Trent rather than just one or the other. Oh, uh, hate to bring it back to City again, but I suppose that's what they've got with Cancelo, isn't it? He can play either flank and that sort of solved their problem there. But then it's one where, where do you find a player like that? And while it can work for other clubs, it's a bit more difficult for it to work for Liverpool because it does feel that they need the natural footers and the natural sides at fullback. Because if you think of James Milner at left back, all the times he's played there, he has done a good job. But how often is he cutting back onto his favoured right foot to cross it? 
Whereas we know Liverpool look that bit more dangerous where you've got Mane or Salah holding it up, waiting for that run from Robertson or Alexander-Arnold to get him behind and then just whipping a low cross. It needs that strength there, that bit of pace. And he's all very well having a player who can do both jobs. We know Jurgen Klopp loves his versatile players. But again, it's one of these where it's a square peg into a round hole. It doesn't quite fit the bill. They leave him a bit uneven. Maybe there is a two-footed fallback out there that uh, Michael Edwards and the rest of the scouting team are willing to unearth and we'll, we'll never have heard this, whoever it is. And then three weeks down the line, they're brought in and have a great season as a reserve. But yeah, um, I think they're just happy with what they've got to the extent of Simicas can fill in there, James Miller can fill in there and Robertson and Trent don't tend to miss a lot of football. It's certainly a difficult one to consider, but uh, we'll move slightly onwards then. We'll go on to, to Jordan Henderson and we mentioned England briefly just there in terms of, of the Euros, Marcus. I know not every Liverpool fan is a huge England fan. I'd probably put myself in that category, to be honest, but it's one of those where you see the goal, you see the celebration, you're just happy for Jordan Henderson and you can just tell how much it meant for him as well. Yeah, after, after such a such a long layoff and, you know, hearing the criticism from the bizarre criticism from Roy Keane about, you know, what he brings to the squad and Harry Kane might wear the armband, but I think it's it's clear to see that Henderson is the England captain. You know, he's he's the leader, he's the one who who galvanizes everyone and and almost he is an idol in that squad. You know, especially Jude Bellingham. You you see the way that Bellingham responds and 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 all his teammates were so delighted for him to score, especially after the uh, the whole penalty gate and you know missing that pen. It was. It was it was the ice and the cherry and the cake and it's just for Henderson it's 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 another big moment especially if he goes on you know and, and England do win the Euros then he's he's the Liverpool captain who I know we we always speak about like you know he almost left the club he was almost swapped for Clint Dempsey but it's just another another step on this you know remarkable journey winning the Premier League winning the Champions League the Club World Cup Super Cup and then to go on and, and win the European Championship with England would just be you know an, another step in this fairy tale really. I think both Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips have impressed me, Theo, but is there an argument that Jordan Henderson should start that semi-final despite their form, just because you know, he's got that experience, he's played in those games before? I mean, is that what you'd do? And, and how likely do you think it is that, that Gareth Southgate might think along those lines? Well, you know that answer already, Matt, if you've been reading my Euros analysis throughout the tournament. I've written pretty much two or three times now that Henderson should be in this starting eleven, And it's not because Phillips or Rice are doing a bad job. I think... Calvin Phillips has had a really good tournament. He's had two really good games and then a couple where he's not been at the same standard, but he really looks good. Declan Rice is still a young player. He's shown glimpses. He's had a few dodgy moments as well, but it's that stability in that midfield and they're doing a great job there. But John Henderson's an upgrade. There's no doubt about that. It doesn't matter how talented a Leeds United and a West Ham midfielder are. We're talking about a Premier League and Champions League winning captain who has seen it all and has done it all. He's just one of the best players for this England squad. This is why Southgate included him. And it doesn't matter about like natural ability. He's not going to win you a game like Steven Gerrard did. He is just this leader who brings so much to their camp. Like You think of um, England teams of the past, when you'd have your golden generation, your Gerrards, your Beckhams, your Roonies and all that, and the younger players would come in and they'd say they'd feel intimidated by it. We know there were clicks in the camp as well. You don't get any of that with Jordan Henderson, do you? You see him joking with Jaden Sancho, who's off to Manchester United after scoring his first England goal. You see an arm around the shoulder with Jude Bellingham. You just need to keep an eye on him in games. And you see how he's talking uh, Saka through a game, Kyle Walker. He's got up to Tyrone Mings. 
he's central to that squad, whether it's talking him through games, keeping the chins up, or congratulating them when they've done something positive. And that, I think the best thing for Jordan Henderson, from a fan's point of view, was not having fans in stadiums. Because with the TV cameras, you could hear what he was saying, you could hear how loud he was and how much of an impact he was making, whether it was pointing to Sadio Mane to make out run or congratulating Trent for winning the ball back, all of this stuff. You see how important he is and what he does as a captain. And it's a testament to his ability that he can have such an important role doing it for England now in cameo appearances. And there's no doubt about, I think, England when he comes off the bench. Like, you know, as soon as he comes off the bench, that's job done. They're seeing the game out now because he's got this experience. He's got this maturity. There was one against Ukraine where he's like back healing it, isn't there, in his own box with 10 minutes to go or something. He's the one who's always racing, winning it back. It is just what you want to see in a generic British footballer, isn't it? I know it's a bit Brexity, but you want to see them flying into tackles, winning it back, all that passion. It's what that we can be proud of. And it's like, I'm really pleased for him that he's having a good tournament and that supporters can see how good he is rather than just being this midfielder who nearly went to Fulham and plays too many sideways passes. It's just a myth. He's always been so much better than that. And now he's getting the recognition he deserves. And it's the same for most of this squad, really. This England squad under Southgate is so likeable. Like, it doesn't matter who they play for. You, you think, I don't actually dislike them that much. <laughs> Even if they play for United, it's like Harry Maguire comes across in the press so well. Southgate comes across really well. And it's one where I know we talk about Scousers and Liverpool fans not liking England. It's not really the team they've got the problem with or the manager when you think about it. It's the fans that are booing them, taking the knee and all this sort of stuff. I think there is a split there. And I've got to be careful with how I word it. But I think when you watch England and you can get behind them, you can see what it means to players like Jordan Henderson, what it would have meant to Trent Alexander-Arnold or Joe Gomez or Alexander-Arnold, um, Alexander, yeah, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain or um, James Miller, all these players have played such a big part for the countries over the year. And now you can just enjoy their passion, enjoy how much it means to them. They've delivered it all for Liverpool, what you wanted to see and win for Liverpool. And now if he can go in successive years... Uh, Champions League, Premier League, European Championships. What's well, a World Cup next year as well? Jordan Henderson is on the run of his life. Long may it continue. Yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed he can stay injury-free for Liverpool next season and absolutely fly into that one as well. I'm sure it'll be hugely important as well for, for England, but uh, for Liverpool as well is obviously our main priority here on the Blood Red podcast. <laughs> Just before we finish, Marcus, I'll come to you on this one. We're going to talk a little bit about Danny Ings, obviously another English player, former Liverpool player. He's got 12 months left on his contract. It seems like he's turned down a new contract offer from Southampton. How good a player do you think he could have been for Liverpool had he stayed injury-free? And should there be any interest in him this summer? Yeah, Ings is always is always one that that was a real, real shame for Liverpool because he he, he was such a he typified such a Liverpool player, and you know even if in, even in the handful of appearances he he made, he one made an impact and he did score goals and big important goals. And he also just, the, the cop loved him, you know, he, he loved that type of player, you know, he, he works hard, he chased every ball and he, he really got the club and it was it was such a shame that, you know, that transfer didn't work out, but obviously, you know, he's shown his quality that we all knew at Southampton, his, his goal record is is phenomenal and I think he does deserve the chance to, you know, test himself at Champions League level. I think if he stays fit, he's definitely that calibre of player and deserves probably the chance to, you know, have a, have a second bite of the cherry at a big club and... 
and and you know prove that he is a, a Champions League caliber player. Whether that's at Liverpool, I'm not sure whether whether he really suits what Liverpool needs. Given that you know we got Diogo Jota, I think a forward who's more comfortable playing out wide at times should be prioritised more than a natural finisher. Although you know a typical number nine would be a decent alternative for, for Firmino, but I just don't don't think Ings is that, that man, given that he'd want to be playing week in, week out. If he went to somewhere like, you know, Manchester United or even Manchester City, I think I think he'd do do really Wash well. Wash your there. mouth out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't think he's uh, I don't think he's the answer for Liverpool. I can see him at Tottenham to be honest. I think if they do end up losing Harry Kane, they could do a lot worse than that. But Theo, what's your take on it? Should Liverpool be interested? And of course, there is that 20% sell-on clause that could help Liverpool with a, a possible transfer. It's one that they'll certainly be keeping an eye on. And like we say, that will be a nice boost to the kitty, won't it? 20% where well, you think he's going to be going for 20 million plus. So it might not be loads, but when you put that two, 2.5, 3 million to whatever they got for Grabara, what they got for Liam Miller, uh, without selling anyone who's actually anywhere near the squad, money's coming in. Um, it's an interesting one for him because he wants to play at a higher level. But what is that level? Because say he goes to a Manchester United, which I don't want to see. Don't do that, Danny. Don't ruin your Liverpool legacy. Granted, it's not much of a legacy, but don't do that. Um, he's not going to be first choice, really, is he? When you've got Greenwood there, they've just signed Sancho, so Greenwood might have to be a striker. You've got Cavani, you've got Rashford, you've still got Martial. Um, Man City, maybe if they don't get Harry Kane, he's an option there. I know they've been linked. Chelsea, they probably have to be really desperate to go there when you think they're going for Earl and Haaland at the moment. Tottenham is the one left, but they're still not Champions League contention. The Europa Conference League next year is not that much of a step up. So it's really what is level for Danny Ings. Um, and it's, sadly, that's probably the best he can do at the moment, Tottenham. Because otherwise, if he goes to Liverpool or a city or anything like that, and he's a backup option again. He's back to square one where, where he was with Liverpool in the first place, where you're playing at that Liverpool, you're proving yourself at that level, but you're not first choice. If Liverpool wanted to sign a striker who just to be a finisher to come off the bench, he's probably one of the smarter buys you could get because you know he's going to be available um, with this 20% sell-on. Obviously, it wouldn't be needed. So Liverpool would probably get him a little bit cheaper than other clubs just because Southampton know they'd get a bit more in the, the bank. And then he's homegrown, and we know how important that would be for Liverpool getting the homegrown uh, boosts up. We know what he brings to a squad already because he was so popular in that Liverpool camp. But he's probably not going to want to go back to them and know he's going to be a squad option there. He's pretty much what same age as the front three. While he might be injury-free and getting more of a chance than he did the first time round, it's still hard to see him being the right move for him. But then out of the top four, none of them are. It is one of those ones that's pushing for Europa League. And that's um, Tottenham. I suppose Leicester are there, but they've just signed Pats and Dakar. West Ham, it's a great stadium, but oh, do we expect them to be up in there fifth, sixth every season? Probably not. He's going to have a tough decision to make if he's decided Southampton aren't for him anymore. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be plenty of clubs interested. And just quickly as well, Jeremy Doku, I wanted to, to sort of touch him, uh, touch on, on him just before we finish the podcast. I'm just going to shoehorn that in by saying there will also be very, very uh, a long list of clubs interested in him as well, Marcus. I'm sure Liverpool fans who saw him for Belgium at the Euros would have been impressed. He's obviously been at, at Liverpool's training ground and spoken to Jurgen Klopp before about a possible transfer. He seems a, a big prospect and I suppose... 
the opposite end of his career to Danny Ings as well. Slightly more of a, a Liverpool-type signing. I'm not necessarily saying they're definitely going to go for him this summer, but it's probably one that's slightly more likely, say, than, than Danny Ings. Yeah, there's, if there's interest in the past and the Liverpool scouts will be, be well aware of, of his progress and his performances. And I think it's a... It's another type of deal where if, if, if Liverpool were going to strike now and you know potentially pick him up for a cheaper fee than if, if you're looking at an Erlen Haaland situation, if if you know Liverpool had took a risk, obviously Haaland's goal record you know spoke for itself, and but I don't think anyone really predicted you know the transition to top European league that that he had and the price that Dortmund Dortmund paid now looks a bit of a joke. So if if you are going to go in and sign someone like Doku right now, you're probably going to get him a lot cheaper than if you allow him to go somewhere else. Then he proves his, you know, credentials, and then you're in a situation where then you've got to fork out 40, 50 million. So I think it's a, if, if for the right price, it could be a sign, and that is really a win-win for Liverpool, especially if, you know, you you get him for the right price. If it doesn't really work out, and you're able to recoup that fee, like we've seen Michael Edwards do countless times on players who are even, you know, like Christian Benteke, we somehow got the money back for for him after the the spell he had at Liverpool. So I think it's a bit of a bit of a win-win, no-brainer if if. Liverpool did want to go down that route. Yeah, certainly someone they've been interested in before, Theo. His dad claims that Jurgen Klopp sees him as the new Sadio Mane. They had a conversation at, at Melwood as it would have been four or five years ago. I mean, the fact that he turned Liverpool down in the past, by all accounts, and, and decided to go elsewhere, that was kind of down to seeing a route to first-team football. Obviously, wanted to, to play regularly as a young kid, and that's what he's gone and done. And it's kind of been said by a few people that maybe Liverpool wouldn't go back to him because he rejected them. But I almost think the opposite. I think at the age of 15 or 16, to have that long-term vision, his parents, by all accounts, wanted him to come to Liverpool, but he decided that he wanted to go and, and do something else. It, it kind of shows a, a level of maturity that I think Liverpool probably would have been quite impressed by. Yeah, you've got to respect him for making that decision. For It's not an easy option because he's still got to go out there and do it. But you think of other players that have turned Liverpool down. Um, is it Lloyd Kelly, the lad at Bournemouth, the left-back, who they've not really wanted to go back in for because of that first rejection? It does seem to be slight opposite with Doku because it took him by surprise because you think any teenager would bite your hands off. But you've got to have something about you to say no to Liverpool that age. And it's not because your head's been turned by more money elsewhere or you've got an agent in your ear. It's just because you want to play football. And that's what he's gone and done. Was it at Anderlecht? He was doing well for them. He's now gone and done well in France. It's one of those, though, all very well Klopp christening him the next Sadio Mane. But Liverpool are in that difficult position where if they went and signed him now, how much game time is he getting when Sadio Mane's ahead of him in the pecking order? And they've been burnt a few times in the past where they've not signed a player for whatever reason and then they've gone back in for him three, four years down the line and it has cost them an arm and a leg. And that's like the Mohamed Salahs, the Virgil van Dijk's, all of these sorts of players. And Doku could easily be that sort of boat if they let it go. But then uh, maybe it's one where Liverpool can do a sort of deal where they go and sign him, loan him out for two years, then bring him back. But it's a, a hard one to work out where what Liverpool want to do because they've still got their, their front three so well at the peak of their powers and it's very hard for any player to come in ahead of them. Yeah, certainly an interesting player. I think one to watch for future transfer moves and, of course, across the Liverpool Echo. We'll keep you updated on Jeremy Doku and all of the other players being linked with Liverpool. That's across the Liverpool Echo's website and, of course, across Blood Red channels too. For now, though, from myself, Matt Addison, Theo Squires and Marcus Banks, until next time here on the Blood Red channel. Thanks for watching. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.